Chapter 6 of Grace Harlow with the Yankee Shock Boys at St. Quentin by Jessie Graham Flower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 6 The Wreck of the Limited. Men racked and torn cried out in alarm and pain, but Grace could not help them. She had been hurled to the floor and under a berth leaving her dazed and partly unconscious. One side of the car had been partially blown in by the explosion of an aerial bomb, and the other side was broken in when, in falling over, it struck the rocky edge of the roadbed and slid down the embankment to the bottom where part of the roof gave way. The car was a mass of wreckage, a tangle of iron rods and broken woodwork. The forward car had not gone all the way over, but hung trembling on the edge of the embankment, threatening every moment to topple over. There was silence in the wrecked rear car for a moment, then shouts of alarm and cries of pain rose from those of the wounded who were still able to raise their voices. Grace Harlow heard those cries faintly, and the sound of them aroused her, stirred her, brought home to her the realisation of a duty to be done. She struggled to free herself from the weight of the berth that was pressing her down. To move hurt her and gave her pain, but she worked until she had freed her arms and obtained a grip with her hands on the edge of the berth. A moment later and she was free. The car was in utter darkness. Grace lay breathing heavily, trying to more fully collect herself, then drew herself up and found she was standing on the side of the car, looking out through the broken roof. Buddies, are you all right? she shouted. No, we're all dead, answered a calm voice after a few seconds of silence. Grace drew her pocket flash lamp and cast its rays about her. It did not seem possible that a human being could have come through alive in that tangled mass of wreckage. The man in the berth over her, or who had occupied the berth under which she had fallen, lay almost at her feet. "'I'll get you all out as soon as possible,' shouted the Overton girl. "'Don't try to help yourselves. If any of you are pinned down, I'll help those first. Not a voice answered her though Grace well knew that some were in that predicament. First she worked at the broken roof, tugged at jagged pieces of galvanised iron that had covered it, and turned the pieces back until an exit was free down almost to the edge at that point. Through this she dragged the soldier who had occupied the berth above her and laid him on the ground a few yards from the car. Straightening up, she blew several long, trilling blasts on the sergeant's whistle that she always carried, knowing that if there were any unwounded soldiers within sound of it, they would respond. She could hear someone chopping in the forward car that she could plainly see lying on its side up above her. Crawling back into the car, she turned on her light and found another soldier. This one was pinned down under a piece of roofing and it required all her strength and repeated efforts to free him. 
He was conscious and, in reply to her inquiry, bravely declared that he wasn't much hurt. Grace thought she knew better. She dragged him out also. The next man was unconscious or dead. She was unable to decide which, but could not afford to take the time to find out. The important thing to be done was to get the man out as quickly as possible. One by one, exerting herself to the utmost, her clothing torn, Grace Harlow Gray dragged the men out into the open and placed them on the ground. They were nearly all out when a train man came down to her assistance. It was fortunate that he did, for one of the last two of her patients was so firmly pinned down by the wreckage that she could not budge the mass of material that held him. Her own strength was failing her, and she was beginning to feel weak and dizzy. For a brief few minutes Grace permitted herself to lie down on the ground, then she was up and at her work. Give them water. Here's my canteen. I'll be right back. Grace crawled back into the car and found her way to her stateroom. The door was jammed so that she could not open it. She smashed it in with a piece of broken timber and crept in on all fours. The stateroom was a wreck too, and it took her some time to find her supply of first aid bandages and antiseptics. Finding them, she got out as quickly as possible, gathering up a canteen and a couple of blankets as she went. Go in and get more blankets. Hurry, the men mustn't lie on the ground. Is any of them gone? One, answered the train man. Couple more badly injured. Anybody killed forward? Conductor and a train man. No soldiers on board except these and the fellows in the other car. This is a supply train. At Grace's bidding, the train man led her to the more seriously wounded to whom she gave first aid. All, save three, had by this time regained consciousness. Hurry now and fetch the blankets, she urged. Where are the engineer and the fireman? Helping in the other car. Good. Was, was Miss Briggs hurt? You mean the woman up there? pointing to the car poised on the edge of the embankment. Yes. I don't think so. She's blowing off steam like an overloaded boiler and threatening the engine crew with a club because they aren't working fast enough, answered the train man, who then hurried over to the rear-wrecked car and began carrying out blankets and piling them on the ground. Good old Elfrida, murmured Grace. I knew she would find herself when face to face with an emergency such as this. Grace, happy at the thought of Elfrida's strength, spread out blankets and mattresses which the train man was now throwing out and called to him to come and help her lift the men onto them. Over each mattress a blanket was placed. On this a wounded man was placed and over him another blanket was stretched. It was a wonderful relief to those suffering doughboys. Please go to Miss Briggs and suggest that she make her patients comfortable in the same way, please, directed the Overton girl. Assist her if she needs you, otherwise I shall be glad to have you here. Grace now devoted her attention wholly to the men, stroking their heads, talking soothingly to them and calming them, for the nerves of most were shattered after their fearful experience. She was interrupted by the return of the train man. Well, questioned Grace, 
The woman says she doesn't need me, says she has too many men already and that they are doing nothing but getting in each other's way. Grace laughed. How near is the station? she questioned. Five hundred yards or so. Is it open? No, it won't open until seven in the morning. I'm of a different opinion. Is there a telegraph office there? Yes, miss. Good. You go find the station agent and fetch him to the station even if you have to drag him by the neck. These men must be got under cover for it is threatening rain. How long is it going to take to clear away the wreck and get the line open? She demanded. If we get away from here today we shall be in luck, was the encouraging reply. That is what I thought. Please go now, but don't you come back without the station agent. Please tell Miss Briggs what my plan is, for I can't leave my patience. I'll fetch him, never fear. If he's a Frenchman, I'm sure I will have to drag him, but if he is an American, he will come without any urging. By the time the trainman returned, Grace had most of her men asleep and was sitting on the ground nibbling at a piece of hardtack. What luck, she called softly. Frenchy had to drag him out. Sorry, miss, but I had to punch his head to make him see the thing in the right light. You understand, these Frenchmen are not up to the Yankee way of doing things when things are ready to be done. I hope you didn't hurt him, she replied, chuckling under her breath. See if you can find the stretchers in the car. Here is my lamp. If the stretchers are broken, we shall have to fix one, for we can't get the men away in any other manner without hurting them. One stretcher was the result of the search, and on this they placed the most seriously wounded man of the lot. Grace took one end of it, the train man the other, and the two toiled up the bank with their burden. Placing their burden on the station platform, they went back for mattresses and blankets. These were placed in the station, the wounded American laid on one, and Grace and the trainman returned to the wreck with their stretcher for another patient. By this time Alfreda's men were carrying their wounded over. Grace directed that the orderly go down with her trainman while the engineer and fireman carried the stretcher with the wounded from Alfreda's car. Grace remained at the station long enough to instruct the station agent how to dispose of the men. She observed that he had a black eye. He was surly and she did not so much blame him, for the Yankee trainman plainly had not handled the man with gentleness. The Overton girl then returned to her patience at the foot of the embankment, where she remained until the last of the wounded men had been evacuated to the station. The unfortunate victim she covered with her own hands after murmuring a silent prayer over him. Poor buddy, she said, turning away, her eyes filled with tears to take up the duties that were awaiting her attention. The station floor being filled, Grace ordered the agent to open the baggage and freight room, which he did complainingly. Were you hurt? she demanded as she and Alfreda came face to face in the station after all had been made secure. I was killed, almost. Did you lose any men? No, one is so badly hurt that he may not recover, poor chap. Wasn't it terrible? Grace nodded. 
Alfreda, we shall probably be here all day. Our food is spoiled, we have nothing for the men, so it will be up to us to forage for something for them. I will do anything, whatever that you say, loyal heart. Thank you. At daybreak we will go out, taking two of the men with us. We will leave the orderly here to look after the wounded. I wish I had some money with me. I have a hundred francs. Will that help you out? Elfrida, you are a jewel. Help me out. Why, it's a fortune. We can almost buy out the town for that. Provided there is anything to buy, she added a little doubtfully. Twenty dollars will go a long way with these poor peasants. I'll speak with the agent. Grace went over to the window and, engaging the agent in conversation, learned where the owners of the food shops lived, their names and those of some of the better class of householders. After thanking him for the information, she slipped ten francs through the ticket window to him and smiled sweetly. For the first time since being dragged from his bed by the Yankee trainman, the agent grinned and began to chatter and gesticulate. Grace asked him if the wreck had been reported. He said it had not. Then do so at once, she commanded. How are we to get help unless they know we need it? Where do they think we are? The agent said of course they did not know, that the trains on both sides of them, fifteen or twenty miles away, were held by the block signals and would stay where they were until the line was clear. Fine railroading! Did you ever hear of anything quite so impossible? complained Grace, turning to her companion. Orderly, I think you had better search the cars for the mess kit. At daylight you will please report here to look after the men while we forage. Tired out, aren't you? I reckon I can stand it if you can, he grinned. I'm used to these French railroads and their limited trains, limited as to speed, you know. A pile of mess kits lay on the platform when the first dull streaks of day appeared in the clouds, but these were taken in when a fine drizzling cold rain began to fall. Grace Harlow was thankful that she had been able to get the wounded men under cover in time, knowing that the exposure would have killed some of them, as the train had been so wrecked that not a habitable car, freight or otherwise, remained. Only the engine had not been damaged, but that was off the tracks. It was a hopeless situation from any point of view. Harlow luck, observed Elfrida sourly. I knew it, but really I am congratulating myself. On what? asked Grace, smiling good-naturedly. Coming through it alive. When I left the field hospital for this journey, I was fully convinced that I should never reach Paris alive. I am really disappointed. Cheer up, comforted Grace. You aren't in Paris yet. We will now get our force together and take the town, the food portion of it. Calling the engineer and fireman, Grace and Elfrida set out through the rain in search of food. Some of the villagers were still in bed, so those were left until later. The Overton girls bought and paid for all the food that they considered it wise to take from the stores then visited the homes for milk and eggs and for cooking utensils. They found the villagers glad to serve them. The villagers had not heard that there had been a wreck and began hurrying to the railroad where they stood gaping at the scenes but they were not permitted to enter the station. 
"'I should like to know how you were going to cook all this stuff,' observed Elfreda, when they were on their way back to the station. "'I do not suppose you have thought of that.' "'Oh, yes, I have, my dear. My stove is ready now. I'll show it to you in a few minutes.' Reaching the station, Grace led the way down the tracks to the place where the locomotive stood leaning over, a faint curl of smoke rising from its stack. "'There's the stove,' announced Grace, pointing to the locomotive. "'In its firebox we shall cook the breakfast for our buddies.'" End of chapter 6